Show me the money. The Aging Workforce Forum Editions. The world of work is changing, but what are the social and economic impacts? We have Shimabil, who most of you will know as our fantastically outspoken, independent uh, voice on many, many things. I think housing has been probably the biggest focus more lately, but I know that uh, you talk about much more than that. Uh, Lisa Ford, General Manager of Business Mentors New Zealand. We have Blair um, from Office for Seniors at MSD. And we have Beth Cassidy McKenzie, Chief Executive of Diversity Works New Zealand, which you will previously have known as Equal Employment Opportunities Trust. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. It's great to be here. Um, I've got a bit of a cold, so I might be um, going in and out a bit. Um, this is a really big topic because, um, as you've heard from the previous speakers already today, um, this is a massive risk and a massive opportunity for New Zealand, and the real question is, how do we deal with it? I was having a little conversation on the sideline, and essentially my conclusion is that if push comes to shove, we will know how to fix it. It's just that it's much better to be prepared and to do it well, rather than to scramble for it, as we seem to do on too many issues. So that's kind of the broad framework. Um, and I want to start with changing nature of work. That's something that we haven't focused on enough. And I think one of the big challenges is that the nature of work in New Zealand and globally is changing. And that means that the role of education and other policies are going to become much more important if we want to use older workforces in our economy. Um, we know that we're li uh, living and working much longer. But as also as we've heard, a lot of this working longer is happening at the low end of socioeconomic and skills. And what we're seeing is this, this need to work rather than this want to work. There's this very polarized uh, uh, work environment for older people in terms of those who are, for example, a lot of the boards that we might go and see where they all seem to be old men, um, or a lot of the places where they're cleaning, which might be a lot of older women. And we've got this very different kind of dichotomy that's opening up, and that's really important. There are issues of policy, there are so issues of equity that are much broader than what we might be talking about today, but something that we must consider. Um, we know that there are some massive new opportunities. Um, I know we're not supposed to talk about the silver tsunami, but man, these old people spend a lot of money. And it's good to have them as customers. And there are some really new, interesting opportunities that are coming up, and I'll get to that very quickly. Um, but the thing that worries me from a pu public policy perspective, I think, is around the deep divisions that we will see across people's skills, because that will dictate whether or not you can engage in work that doesn't require that physical strength and quite often the physical ability, but also an issue of regionalization. Um, Paul touched on this in terms of the aging population in particular places, but also in terms of what do you do if you live in places that have declining populations and declining economies. And we're going to have to think about a public policy uh, response to all of those things. And I think ultimately with all of these things, we know that when push comes to shove, all of us individually will make the decisions that work for us but they may not be the best decisions if we could prepare ahead of time. And when it comes to public policy, I think we need a much stronger focus on welfare. Um, where's the spotless guy? I think you had the, you had the best line in terms of our uh, superannuation scheme is punitive. It's not generous enough. And the basic income that's provided is too basic. And so we need to think much harder about how do we think about welfare and how we think about universality. Um, Education is going to be a really big part, and so is going to be health and uh, care in the community. Very quickly on the changing nature of work. This is not new. Despite all those pictures of robots taking all our jobs, the reality is that this has been happening forever. 
The real challenge now is that the change in technology is getting faster and is making skills and uh, people's jobs redundant quicker. And this is a chart that goes over 100 years of New Zealand's uh, employment across the broad sectors. And you'll see in the 1900s, about a third of our jobs were in the primary sector. Today, it's less than seven. And all of the growth in terms of New Zealand's population, New Zealand's employment, has been in some sort of services. And increasingly, they're in educated, highly skilled jobs. So not everybody is going to be able to participate in this uh, economy. Um, when I used to talk about technology, I used to ask how many people have Blackberries when I first started. Now, most of you don't have Blackberries, right? If you have it, don't admit it. Because <laughs> the reality is that every new technology is getting faster and faster, right? I mean, you know, the landline took 50 years to reach mass penetration and the smartphone took seven. But Blackberry was a superstar and pretty much dead within the space of a few years. 2008 it had a market cap of $80 billion, today it's less than four, and nobody really wants to have a BlackBerry unless your workplace requires you to do so. And the reason I say that is because the kinds of skills that we have acquired, which our education system takes many, many years to instill in us, can be obsolete within years. All of a sudden, the industry that you worked in, the job that you worked in, everything that you might have built up your life around may not be there as an industry tomorrow. The prediction from uh, one of the um, studies from Oxford was that 95% of accounting jobs will be obsolete within 15 years. So this is not just about manual jobs that are being automated, it's also semi-skilled and highly skilled jobs. And this is the changing nature of work that's going to become extraordinarily important because whatever policies we have in place, training and education has to be at the core of all of that too because otherwise we will not have a responsive population that is able to respond to these changes. The aging thing we've heard about a lot, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but like Paul said, this is the magic year. We're going to have more old people this year than young people, more over 65s than under 15s. New Zealand will never be young again. The question is not so much what will happen in terms of aging population, but what will we do with it? And there's some massively positive um, stories, right, in terms of the longevity, the fact that we're living longer and more often than not living longer with good health is a very good thing. Over the last 100 years, the average life expectancy of a woman has gone up by about 20 years. This is massive progress. But also, when the uh, retirement in New Zealand was f first brought in in 1898, the retirement age was 65. And if you look at the chart, which starts in 1900, the life expectancy of a female was 60. You were not expected to collect the super. But look at the massive increase that we've had and the more amount of time relative to this almost arbitrary number that is 65. And we have to think very hard about the communication, the expectation that is set by public policy. And I think we're being quite, um, quite, uh, quite at fault when we say we're not going to change the age of eligibility when it comes to superannuation. Because that despite not having a retirement age, the eligibility of superannuation sends a very strong signal in terms of how long the average person in New Zealand is likely to work. Now, a little bit in terms of the opportunities, and I, I've been using this chart for a while, and I love it because there is a little sub-story that goes underneath that. But essentially, if you look at the, uh, the where people's spending goes in the Household Economic Survey in the last one versus the early 1990s, um, there's some big shifts, but my favorite one at the very detailed level in terms of alcohol consumption, just because and I'm quite interested in that, um, was uh, there seemed to be a focus on drinking sherry in the early 1990s, whereas there's much more of a focus on things like Pinot and Chardonnay now. 
And I think when we think about an older person, you can't have this sense that an older population, an older customer is going to be the same as what we have seen in previous generations. Every new generation of older person is different. Um, certainly with the latest older persons, uh, older generations, we're seeing them spend a lot more money and effort on things like um, sports and recreation, um, you know, eating well, but also eating out and drinking more. So naughty and nice at the same time. But for a lot of businesses, the opportunity is in the changing nature of the older person and the fact that generally the boomers are going to be some of the wealthiest, some of the biggest spenders of any older generation ever. So in terms of the spending power of this group, we are certainly going to see a lot more than we have seen before. And this is going to be helped by a um, lot more people work, staying in work. And um, I guess when you look at the participation, or this is the employment rate, so share of people in uh, work over 65, men in grey and women in orange, um, you'll see that it has increased very steadily from the uh, mid-1990s. And you know, as you heard from Paul, uh, we are one of the highest in the world, uh, next only to Japan, I guess. And Japan has a very different demographic and a significant need because in Japan they have this um, uh, very negative attitude towards immigration. So they have to use their own workforce much longer, much harder to be able to achieve that. But also what we're seeing is this big differences across um, ethnicities in terms of how people work, that's on the right hand panel. And I think it's really important that we don't get caught up too much in terms of the rising trend versus the absolutes and the distributions. The reality is that most people over 65 don't work. More people are working, but the majority still don't. And within that older population, we've got very low participation, particularly amongst Pacific peoples and um, Asians. And a lot of it might be to do with preference, with the ability, having financial savings, all of those kinds of things. But it's really important to figure out how much of this is by choice, how much of this is by ability, and how much of this is work that is actually contributing to that person's well-being as well as the economy's well-being. It's both of those two things that are extraordinarily important for us to have the right kinds of conversations. The thing that worries me is that when we talk about these, we don't put enough emphasis on the deep uh, divisions that we see in New Zealand in terms of skills and ability to work for the long term. And certainly in terms of the skills and the type of manual work that goes on, uh, there, is a, there is a very much an ethnic divide, especially, especially amongst the Maori and Pacifica, they're much more likely to be represented in lower skill work, more physical work, more manual work, and that means your body just wears out. Your ability to work longer is not possible. And there are lots of other things that we need to think about when it comes to welfare not just in terms of superannuation, but the broader uh, state of welfare and how we th deal with that. The other division that is very, very important, of course, is depopulation and declining economies in the provinces. Um, I'm not welcome in Wanganui anymore. Um, I call them a zombie town. You only do that once. Um, I did go back. Uh, they didn't lynch me, so that was good. Um, but <laughs> essentially, if you look at the, the pattern of growth, on the left-hand panel is the 2006 census. On the right-hand panel is the 2013 census essentially the cancer is spreading. There are more parts of New Zealand that are facing decline. And these are deep challenges for these communities because more often than not, what we're faced with is older people remaining in these places and the depopulation is happening amongst younger people. Young people are voting with their feet because quite simply, there are not enough job opportunities and employment opportunities in those places. Now, <clears throat> there are some big issues here because if you've got these small towns that are reliant on the rates, the taxes, local taxes, 
on older people who have relatively fixed incomes and are increasingly vulnerable, there are some big challenges in terms of older people's representation and their role in local democracy and in the shrinking economies. I worry about these things because I don't think we can have one size that fits all in terms of representing older people's rights, older people's perceptions, um, and or older people's roles in an economy. Because quite frankly, in places that are depopulating, it is very difficult for them to have access to work even if they want to. And try selling a house in Ekaterhuna and moving up to Auckland for a job. The other thing that's of course happening in terms of um, the, the big issues in terms of older people and why some people have to work is because of the issue of healthcare, the issue of the expenses of living um, that are becoming harder and harder. From the Household Economic Survey, what we find in terms of private uh, expenditure on health is that they're highest for richer households, as you'd expect, right? If you've got money, you spend it, spend more of it. But we also know that for most people, the most amount of money that you spend on health goes right to the end of your life. And most, a lot of that spending happens on elective spending. And elective spending in New Zealand is getting longer and longer in terms of wait lists and the rationing that ha happens through there uh, can be very detrimental in terms of well-being and all those other things. So having access to uh, uh, planning opportunities for private insurance or whatever it might be to give you the ability to bypass the public, uh, the public queue could be really, really important. But when we think about healthcare and older people's well-being, it's not just about the provision of public and private healthcare, but it's also about how they live. Even though a lot of the conversation inevitably about older people living in communities, about uh, retirement villages and those kinds of things, the reality is that we have to think much harder about people living in their own homes and their own communities for much longer because most people simply do not have enough savings to be able to access retirement villages and other luxurious options. But when I look at the types of houses that we're building, uh, we're building the wrong types. Most of the housing demand, the household formation of the right-hand panel is one and two-bedroom, uh, one and two-person households. Most of the houses we're building are four and five-bedroom houses. I still don't know who cleans all those extra bathrooms, but there must be somebody who really enjoys it. This is a really big issue because when we talk about care, I think what we have got is not a fully, um, a whole continuum of supply that meets the needs and wants of a wide range of New Zealand society. We've got supply for the very top, which will always be met. It's the middle and the bottom who are really struggling for choice. And it's really important that we think about what public policy options we want to talk about and we want to think about because we still have time to plan for it. And the reason we have time is because people are working longer, they're contributing in taxes, they're not suddenly going to you know, drop out of the economy and labor force at age 65. So for me, the big conversation is really around the changing nature of work and how important it is to bring education and training into a very fundamental and core part of what we think about aging in New Zealand and workforce participation to give people the option should they want to. It is really about that option, not because we want to force people to do it. We should think about welfare because the reality is that welfare in New Zealand is mean and grudging and we have to think about giving a basic level of dignity in life regardless of what background you come from, and we're not doing that well enough. We're going to live and work longer. We're going to have lots of new opportunities, and I'm not worried about that. The thing is, people can smell money. If there are people who are going to go and outspend money, there will be somebody there to sell you that stuff. 
Um, the deep divides really worry me around skills, around ethnicity, around regions. I think that is where we have to look hardest because it's in identifying those most vulnerable groups is where we make the investments, where we take the first steps and where we begin our preparation. And like I said, right at the beginning, ultimately, we know that we can fix this stuff. New Zealand is small and wealthy. Everything is, is achievable in this country. That is the great beauty of where we live. But we also know that our current welfare policies, our education policies, our health policies and care, care policies and land use policies are not fit for purpose. We've got a rapidly aging and inevitably aging population. We know what the risks and opportunities are. The question is, do we have the leadership to make the changes in our public policies that will prepare us much better. Thank you. This episode of Show Me The Money was recorded at the Commission's Aging Workforce Forum. Thanks for listening. Produced by the Commission for Financial Capability, helping Kiwis build wealthy lives.